Hello and welcome to Optimal Living with Dr. Jeremy Spiegel. Optimal Living is brought to you by Casco Bay Medical in downtown Portland, Maine. Casco Bay Medical provides general adult psychiatry with psychiatric evaluations, medication management, and psychiatric consultation, suboxone treatment for opiate addiction, as well as evaluations and recommendations for medical marijuana. Today in the studio, we have with us Ashley Rutherford, my good friend and practice manager since 2012 at Casco Bay Medical. Ashley, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Ashley is here. Um, I've given her an assignment to read something that she normally would not read, a work of graphic fiction. There seems to be an ability to convey ideas and emotional tone. And this combination of the visual and text, I think, can bring out emotion in a way that reading a book that does not have any images may not be able to do in quite the same way. So I've asked Ashley to read one work of graphic fiction by George Takei called They Called Us Enemy about his time in a Japanese-American internment camp during World War II. He was just a child then. And George Takei, as you know, is known for his role as Sulu on the original Star Trek and more recently for his LGBT advocacy. Well, first of all, what did you think when I asked you uh, if you could please read this book and... Uh... Sure. Um, I immediately thought of comics, and I have brothers, and so I never read comics. I don't, I'm not really into superheroes and things like that. I read more novels, just words. But this book was different because even when I was reading it, I was when I read in general, I picture what I'm reading, but it helped to see a picture as well. So you can almost like compare your image in your brain to what you're seeing on the paper. You think it was more evocative of emotion? Yes. Like when the kid is crying and his mom's trying to make him feel better, maybe in your head when you think about it, you just think of, you know, sad. But when you see those big tears, you're kind of like, oh, he really is this upset and the mom's cradling him and things like that. I mean, it seems like the artist can exaggerate an emotion and stay with it in a way that's distinctly different than when you just read a regular book. Right. In the word text uh -huh. bubbles. Yes. Sometimes if they're like, you know, jagged edges or exclamation points and capital and bold, like it makes it a way more pronounced than your average mm -hmm. in text in a book where you just read a sentence. It's very different, but I enjoyed it. I flew right through it. It was great. It seems very dramatic. I like that right. what you described because when you're reading a book, I mean, certainly they may use italics or something. Maybe. Uh, but yeah. typically you're not going to have the freedom to... Right. The text pretty much stays the same. Did you know much about the Japanese internment. I knew some of it, but when I actually read the book, I couldn't really believe it. I mean, I believed it, obviously, but I was like, wow, I also learned something. It's like almost captivating, even though it's a sore subject. Well, certainly. I mean, I bet if you ask people on the street about the Japanese internment during World War II, where Japanese U.S. citizens, mm -hmm. U.S. Right. citizens were corralled into... Even uh, born U.S., like some of them were... Yes. We're still subject to this yes. because of their obviously yes, just exactly. being Japanese by itself. Yeah, exactly. The so-called Nisei and Sansei; those are right. the second and third generations mm -hmm. of J Japanese who have had moved to the U.S. prior to uh, World War II. Mm -hmm. And all the talk about their allegiance. Well, they're still Japanese, so they were like worried about that. So it wouldn't matter mm -hmm. what you even asked them; they just automatically were like, "You're in this bin because of that." 
which Absolutely. I thought was kind of interesting. But. Absolutely. And so they were imprisoned, essentially. Right. And this book gives someone who didn't know this history mm-hmm. a clue, uh, but not just to some kind of boring uh, history lesson. You're, right. You're there with George Takei, Sulu. Right. Is, yeah. is, is guiding you through his memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a great storyteller, actually, too, and he remembers a lot. And I think it was nice that he did a lot of point of views from his parents and that when he was a little bit older, how it showed how he was, like, upset with his dad for letting it happen and seeing it from a kid's point of view and now seeing it as an adult. I think he did really well with that. Mm-hmm. Like, what would he do as a father at this age with his kids? You have to go with it because there's nothing else you can do. Yeah. But he's mad as a teenager because he's like, why'd you let us do that? You know, so it was kind of neat to see him evolve from that and, like, understand later on in life, like, why his parents did that. There was something from the book. I mean, this is what's fascinating to me as a psychiatrist is that the emotion, because that's the hook when you get somebody interested in a topic and then you even will get that kind of awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, You really have to hook into something on an emotional level. Otherwise, it just becomes sort of this factual thing. Right, something you just read and you could... Forget about it. Exactly. Right. And it doesn't have something personal. Mm-hmm. Many, I mean, I, I don't know what percentage of Americans uh, will tell you how much they care about uh, George Takei, the man, George Takei as Sulu. But we have a relationship with this man and his certainly his character. And in later years, what he has done with LGBT advocacy, and, 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 and he's done so many other things. Uh, there was that museum show, or something? There was a musical. Yeah. Yeah. There was okay. a musical on Broadway. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and he also fought for the Japanese troops that are on our side or the U.S. side. Mm-hmm. And then he did the awards for them at the end. Like they actually, you know, they're older now, but they never, I don't think they were recognized before. Uh-huh. But now yes. that they are. So he was a real advocate for that too, mm-hmm. which was good. Mm-hmm. There's a line in here. It was on, it looks like page 140. He, it's basically a narration. He says, as with many traumatic experiences, they were anguished by their memories and haunted by shame for something that wasn't their fault. Shame is a cruel thing. It should rest on the perpetrators, but they don't carry it the way the victims do. Do you remember You remember reading yeah. that? Yeah, totally. Um, I completely can see that, and I think part of it is the victims obviously didn't want this to happen to them. I think the people who are doing it they don't take the shame on because they don't see a problem with it. That's why they're doing the action, right? Mm-hmm. And I also think maybe some of it could be like a personality thing because there's other people who things happen to and they don't feel shameful about it because they know that wasn't something they could control. Mm-hmm. But I think the majority do feel victimized and they stay like that. Well, it's very it's very common for somebody who is the victim of trauma mm. to completely absorb the shame of the trauma that was not their fault. Right. And this seems to be a universal tendency. Mm-hmm. And it's that that seems fairly easy for someone who has never been mm. traumatized. But I wonder if they think, you know, how did I let this happen to me? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why did this person choose me to do this to Like, I could have stopped it 10 minutes earlier, but they didn't. There's some kind of exactly psychology behind, like, maybe I wanted, you know, not wanted, but maybe... I don't know. I think they doubt themselves, and that's why they take on all that well, shame, well, would be you, my guess. You know what? I was thinking it. it's probably because it's such an extraordinary experience. It's right. something that just does not compute totally. with how your worldview yeah. is. And when it happens to you, your mind is trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And so the first person that you're going to blame is yourself in some right. way. Was I wearing the wrong thing? Right. Was I, did I say the wrong thing? 
and so forth. It must have been 100%. something I did mm-hmm. or, or signals I gave or whatnot. It's funny. People try to make a reason for why that happened to that certain group of people or that certain person or something. It is a little unbelievable that here we've done this to mm-hmm. American citizens. And what's important is that we don't live in a vacuum. You have societal pressure. That's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And so that is also going to drive how someone views their own behavior in right. the context of their trauma. Right. If there were no societal pressure, there would be, I think, a greater tendency to have better confidence in yourself as not at fault at all. Right. But because of how society views certain things, certainly with the Japanese Americans, at that time, there was a real question as to their who their loyalty was. Was well, it right. to the emperor of Japan or was it to the United States? Totally. And the United States, I think, had that safety concern. Something else I'm interested in is the um, way that graphic novels are in general, Mm -hmm. laid out. You have the space between frames. I mean, basically, sequential art. So if you look at one frame and then it moves to another frame, there are these spaces between them, gutters, I don't know Mm -hmm. what the... Valleys or something. Yes, uh, between uh, frames in a comic book. And a lot of things can change from one to another, what that could be. It could be from moment to moment. It could be from idea to idea. Mm -hmm. It could be from... Uh, a general to a more uh, close-up image of pretty much the same thing. And what it does is that uh, here you have art that's on a page. There is no time as you're reading it, but the artist creates a pause, and they do this in such a way just with ink on a page. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of what is absolutely fascinating. And the style in which the artist uses, say, the lines to create a character. I'll give you an example. If something is very well detailed, as if it could be in a portrait gallery, that conveys a certain visual image. On the other hand, you could have something that is so thin, like uh, a Peanuts character that's just a couple wiggly lines. Mm-hmm. What Scott McCloud says is basically that the closer it is to a cartoon, the more that you can project your own stuff onto it. The more absolutely detailed that this is a person, mm. this is one particular person, it's harder to project your own experience onto it. Right. Like it almost becomes a little too real with a face, an actual face that has details. Exactly. That you may not have, you may not be able to put your own emotion into it. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, the extreme of that is sort of like a, a smiley face with two dots and a line. Right. You're more easily able to see yourself mm-hmm. in the character that you're reading. It can about. kind of morph into anything because it's neutral. Blankets, which is a graphic novel by Craig Thompson. His parents were fundamentalists. And you could see that he was psychologically injured by that fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. And certainly as it relates to a first love and their relationship. But Importantly, he seems to be able to have a kind of deep faith, but it's not what's been prescribed or proscribed by the fundamentalist parents. Um, and, and certainly he suffers quite a bit of abuse. I could not stop reading. And at the end of it, you, you feel that something has moved in you, uh, that something that there's been an emotion that's been lifted up and you empathize with the character. Well, it, it almost sounds, I mean, I haven't read this book in particular, but it almost sounds like you're, you know, watching him kind of grow and then become his own, maybe successful person or some kind of 
free from the stuff that he didn't have control over as a kid. So I think that probably makes people feel good. They're like, oh, I've had that too, and now here I am at 40 years old. I can be my own person finally, or I can process what I didn't like when I was two to 17. Luckily, he is able to move on and mm-hmm. move forward. But what's interesting is that you can't quite just erase what's happened to you. You can't quite erase uh, a, a particular read on faith mm-hmm. that um, has been instilled in you, inculcated in you. Right. But you can start to at least edit it for yourself. And I thought there was a beauty in that because he's quite fluent in biblical verse and more importantly, where some of the questions come in, in terms of this passage uh, from the Bible coming from one source uh, versus another and something that couldn't have been written when some people say it was, but it was actually much later if Mm -hmm. you read linguistically. So he's very clever, he's a very bright and gifted uh, writer and visual artist. Yeah. Um, now, there's this one other book I should talk about, Spinning by Tilly Walden, uh, a story of a young woman who was a figure skater for 12 years in her life okay. as a child and adolescent. And this is another gorgeous book that gives you these feelings that I can't quite describe, uh, except to say that as you're reading it, you do really feel the sense of time. There's an image in the book where she's at a uh, tournament for figure skating. She's in a hotel, and you see only her reflection in a vending machine full of snacks. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a simple panel, a full page, and it gives you this feeling. And I've showed you the image. What did you think of that? I mean, clearly I thought she was hungry because she was standing in front of a bunch of snacks. And I do know professional athletes or people who are in tournaments and things like that are really regimented. And maybe she was – I actually thought maybe she was feeling low Uh and really just wanted some kind of, like, junky relief, junky meaning junk food, and just being like, boom, here I am. Uh, But, you know, isn't it interesting how if you were reading – you couldn't do this with text. Oh, absolutely not. It would be – I'm sitting in front of a vending machine thinking which cake I want to have. Or something. I don't know. Right. Because you couldn't even express it explicitly like that. Um, And the whole page was like, boom. You can't miss it, right? You can't miss, like, how that would feel, I would say. Mm -hmm. And this this book is complex, too, because it's in part going through her experience, agonizing often. It's also a coming out story. Mm -hmm. It's also she is living in Texas. And her mom is, to be kind, to uh, you, you might say ineffectual. Mm-hmm. It, it's a gorgeous story, Spinning by Tilly Walden. I will say that I have noticed as I'm getting older, even, you know, maybe I wouldn't have done this before, this kind of podcast or read a comic book or graphic novel, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I think that I really like him. And to like keep your eyes open to things that you might not think you like, even as a kid, because you've never liked it before. Why would you like it now? But... I did, and I actually like it, and I want to read more of them now. And I'm an avid reader. I read a lot of novels, but I think I would do some graphic novels now, for sure. Beautiful. Yeah. Ashley, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It was fun.